Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. up a series entitled Small is the New Big. And if you're brand new visiting with us basically all month long, uh, we've been taking a look at the the truth that most of us, even if you're not a Christian in this room, um, we'd love to see 2017 be a better year. And so every single week we've been basically taking a look and saying, all right, what are some things that I can apply to my life to have success in my work, success in my family, success in life? And if you're a Christian, we've really focused and centered on some of the things that we need to do to grow closer in our relationship with God. So That when December 31st rolls around at the end of the year, we can look back and say, you know what, Terry, this year I didn't stay in the same spot. I didn't regress. I actually moved forward. So every single week we've been talking about some things that we need to hold true to in order to be able to take steps and move forward. And what we decided to do this week is to kind of do a little bit of a wrap-up. Today's a very different message, a different way than I normally communicate. Um, If you're a note-taker, you're going to like it. If you don't like notes, tough. Um, But the truth is, I'm going to give you a series of steps um, that I would say for every believer in this room, that as you navigate each week this year, that if you take part in each of these steps, some of you are going to focus on maybe one or two steps that you're not doing now, and that's okay. But all of these steps will help you move further in your relationship with Christ. We're going to anchor around one passage of Scripture, and, and there's more meaning to this than just at face value. A lot of us have read it many times before, but the truth is there's some deeper meaning within the words of it, um, and it's going to challenge you and I as we kind of move forward. Um, If you have your iPhones, iPads, your Bibles, you can open them up. We're going to start in the book of John. It's in the New Testament, um, and it's about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. We're going to start in John, and it's in chapter 1, verse 40 through 44. Here we go. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew all of a sudden heard a lot about Jesus Christ and said, hey, I like it. I'm in. I, I want to move. I want to do, do what God wants me to do. So he takes steps forward. Andrew went to find his brother then, Simon, because he says, you got to see this guy, Jesus, and told him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon. Jesus said, your name's Simon, son of John but you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. In that moment, he then says the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So let me set this up for you and don't miss this. Jesus looks intently. If you look at the Bible and you love the Bible, there are reasons why there are words. That word is meant that he paused. That word is meant that there was more meaning to that than anything else. It just wasn't, a, it wasn't like, hey, hey, can I get your help? Hey, come follow me. No, 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 no. Jesus was looking at Simon and he said, no, no, no. I've got a plan for you, Simon. In fact, today, Simon, you're known as a fisherman. You're known around these parts for what you've done for a lot of years. But today and every day forward, your name is going to change because no longer will you be known as Simon. You're going to be known as Cephas, which is Peter. In other words, I'm about to have you become a part of a plan that is going to change your life and change the way that others see you. See, here's the truth. I think God does that with all of us in this room. If you're a Christian, I believe God wants us every week, every day to change our name. Because changing your name doesn't have anything to do with, you know, I don't like my name, it's Bartholomew, and so I just don't like it, I want to change it. If you're Bartholomew in here, great name, I'm I'm not teasing, I'm not picking on you. But here's the truth. 
God doesn't want you to stay the same. God looks intently at every Christian. Students, God looks intently at you as you're a ninth grader, a 10th grader, a 6th grader, a 7th grader. And he looks at where you're at in that grade and he says, look, I've got a plan for you. And you've got a name today, but I want you to change your name every day. I want every day. I want in 7th grade, I want your peers, I want your parents, I want those around you to know you for far more than just your abilities and your talents. I want them to know you because I am about to do something new in you every single day. So I want to change your name. He wants to do that with all of us. And so here's, here's where I get convicted. How many days have I lived my life where I don't allow God to change my name? And I just sit. I'm good with being Terry today. I'm good with where I'm at. I like routine. I believe God's coming in, and I believe today he's here. Where two or more are gathered, God is present. And I believe he's going to challenge many of you to add one of these steps to your life, which will change your name forevermore. So the truth of it is, as we move forward, I want you to take note of these steps. First step, God, I believe God is calling us to step forward. I believe he's calling every Christian to step forward. Let me tell you what I mean. I've got a little baby bouncer up here. And I remember when I brought my son Connor home, it was the slowest car ride of our lives driving home from the hospital. We were doing 15 miles an hour less than the speed limit first time in our lives because we wanted to make sure that we, nothing happened to the prized possession. We got the baby out. We got him in the house. And I remember us sitting there and looking at, oh, he's so cute. He's the cutest baby in the whole world. And, and no, that's not true. And, you know, we all lie, but he, he was, we thought it. And I remember sitting there and he was all snuggled up and he was, you know, in a bundle and he was sleeping and he was, you know, cooing. And we're like, oh, this is so pretty and awesome. And then, you know, later on at about like 10 o'clock at night, you know, we're, we're feeding him, you know, he's pooping, he's eating, you know, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden at about 10 o'clock at night, you know, he like he starts like squealing a little. And we're like, oh, so cute, he's squealing. And then, you know, you, you know, you pick him up and you hold him and then he like stops and you rock him and he like he quiets down. You're like, oh, this is so wonderful parenthood. Now, by the way, we had not slept in about like 40 hours because it was labor through the night. So we were like delirious and exhausted. I mean, if you had a microphone, you'd probably laugh hysterically. That'd be a fun service. Just play that tape. That'd be funny. But we're sitting there holding him and then all of a sudden it's about like midnight now. And, you know, every time I went, okay, little Connor, I love you, and put him down, okay, I'll hold him, daddy's boy. And I'd sit there and hold him. And then all of a sudden, about midnight, I'm like, daddy's tired, and you need to go to sleep. Where's the off button? Call mom. So all of a sudden, we said, all right, um, we got to go to sleep here. And so... So there was this little baby bouncer. We put him in the baby bouncer and, and, you know, we were one of those parents, you know, your firstborn where you're like, okay, we can only leave him in there for four and a half minutes. Otherwise he'll get shaken baby syndrome. So we got to be really careful. But this thing like moves. So we put the baby in there. And when we put the baby in there, unbelievable. He sat there and he was quiet and he was, went back to sleep. And we're like, this is amazing. This is awesome. And then we'd pick him up after five minutes and walk through the night. I've caught up on a lot of binge watching TV during that time. But anyway, here's the point. I think we sometimes are like that baby because watch what Connor thought. Connor thought that we were holding him, rocking him, and moving him. But Connor was stationary, sitting right in this bouncer. It was moving him, but he wasn't taking steps himself. I think a lot of us as Christians, we think that that's what Christianity is. God, you know what? I'm not going to take a step of faith. You've got to show me. God, I want a different 2017. You need to move. God, you need to take care of this. I ain't going to do anything, but you need to take care of my boss. You know, don't kill him, but, you know, like a disease would be great. But just take care of him, please. You need to take care of my family. You need to take care of my sister. You need to do something with her. 
And we want God to move all the time. Move, 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 move. And meanwhile, God's looking at us and saying, you're like that little baby. You are sitting here and you expect me to move and that's what Christianity is. No, I expect you to get up. I expect you to take steps. You need to be the one to step forward. In fact, I want you to look at the scripture. Actually, this is a quote. This is Vern Heinemann. He once said this, to step forward in faith is to take at least one step past yourself. In other words, the reason why some of you aren't stepping is because you can't get past what you like and who you are in the moment. You love your routine and you're like, God, this is Christianity and I'm okay with being where I'm at. And God says, no, 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 I've got more. I want you to step. In fact, step two, I want you to take a look at this. I want you to learn to step up the tempo. Step up the tempo. I'm going to explain this in a second because Jesus came and he said to Simon and he said to Andrew and he said this, he says, I want you to come, but I want you to look at the word come and I want you to see the definition of it if I've got it. The word come means to assume a condition, to achieve the ultimate goal. So what Jesus did is he looked at Simon and he said this, I'm going to change your name and I know the goal. I know the plan. I've got so much for you. I want you to come today. But it's not just about today, Simon. Now, Peter, I want you to move every day because you're going to step through experiences and I've got an ultimate goal for you to achieve. I want you to step up your tempo. Let me explain it a different way. I love going skiing. I've been skiing about eight or nine, ten times. And I remember my first time going skiing. I went to the ski instructor. I, you know, I got my skis on, I fell. I got my skis on, I fell. Yard sale, you know, it was just, you know, fun. And I looked over at the bunny hill, and there was a bunny hill over here, and I saw a bunch of five-year-olds and, you know, seven-year-olds, and I said, yes, my goal today, my step forward today is going to be to master that bunny hill. So I remember getting on the little magic carpet ride, that's what they actually called it, you know, you you scoot your skis up and you get on and it motors you up the the bunny hill. And then I remember getting off to the top and falling, and the five-year-olds were falling on top of me, and the moms were getting mad at me. They're like, dude, come on, you're, you're 30 years old, let's go. And so I remember I got up, and I finally got to the top of the bunny hill, and then I'm standing there, and I'm scared because I don't know how to stop. So I'm there and the instructor's telling me and all this stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, dude, whatever. If I get hurt, it's on you. And I'm up there. And by the way, the five-year-olds, they're ruthless. They come, they come right off that thing. They come right next to you. They don't even stop. They just look at you and they ski right down. Parents, don't allow your five-year-olds to do that. It's not nice to adults. Stop them right now. Okay. So I go down the bunny hill. I fall, I get up, I fall all day long. Fall, get up, fall, get up. And I finally master the bunny hill. So the next day, I'm like, I'm good. I want to have success. So I go back to the bunny hill. And for the first two hours, I'm on the bunny hill. And I'm at the same tempo when I'm going down that bunny hill. And this is great. This is great. This is great. And then all of a sudden, about halfway through the morning, I'm like, you know what? This isn't fun anymore. I'm getting kind of bored with this. Isn't there more? So the instructor says, well, you can go on a green. And I'm like, great. So I go over and I'm like, how do I get up there? Do you have a magic carpet ride to take me up there? And he's like, no, you got to get on a lift. True story, this wasn't in my notes. I remember getting first time on the lift. I got on the lift and I was all scared to death. The thing comes. And by the way, they don't slow it down. I think they speed them up on the beginner ones just to make you scared. Speed it up. It hits me in the butt. I fall down. A buddy's next to me. We both get there and we're both beginners. So we're like, whoo, we made it. But I forgot one important thing. Keep your skis straight. So I had one ski like this. True story, students. There's a big pole next to me. The pole clipped my ski, knocked my ski off. I got a choice in that moment. Stay on the lift with one ski and die or jump. I jumped. It's okay. It was only a few feet up. I jumped. I landed in a big pile of snow. I was laughing. But the real funny thing is my friend who was like startled and said, wait a second. He's all by himself going up to his death. 
He decided to jump too, but it was about 15 feet further. And you see, into the snow, to which then the person riding the lift and operating the lift uttered a word I can't say in church. It was very funny. Here's the point. I got up on the green, spent the next two days on the green. I fell. It was hard. I was mad. I was challenged. But then I got through the greens, and I got to the point where I'm like, this is amazing. The experience is incredible. And then I moved to a blue, and I'm like, oh, it was hard. It was difficult. It was challenging. But then when you accomplish, you're like, oh, this is why it's so fun. I think some of you have stopped your temper. I think some of you have started your Christianity and said it's about going to church. It's about being in a Bible study. It's about doing good. If some of you, it's about coming in here and evaluating the sermon. In fact, some of you are saying, I can give you seven steps to a better sermon. Yeah, I know, but here's the truth. That's not Christianity. Christianity has nothing to do with that. Christianity has everything to do with every day, your relationship with God and what you're doing in response to what he's calling you to. And when you settle into a tempo that's comfortable and every week you do the same thing, and every week you don't move forward and you don't move your temple up, you become complacent and it becomes boring. And I can promise you that is not where God wants you to be. So if you've not changed your name in a long time, if you've not changed what you do as a believer in Christ in a long time, I can promise you God is screaming into your heart, come I've got a bigger goal for you. You need to step up your tempo. You need to take a step of faith. Don't just sit and settle. Step up the tempo. Number three, you need to step into the box. I'm going to do this quickly or I'm going to run out of time. Pastor Stephen's going to get mad at me. So are all of you. Anyway, here's a garbage can. Here's a true story. You knew I wasn't going to get through a message without a baseball illustration. But here's the truth. In baseball, there's a term. You need to step into the box. There's a lot of things that are a little scary, students, about stepping into a box. Because the truth is, stepping into the box when there's a pitching machine throwing the ball exactly where it needs to go, that's not that bad. Because you step into the box, you know the ball is not going to hit you. But something happens when you move up to coach pitch or live pitch. The ball can hit you. And all of a sudden, you step into the box and something bad happens. You get hit with a ball. And there are kids that once that happens the first time, then the minute they're in the box, they're like this. And they're doing this. And then there's dads that start screaming in the stands and, you know, then they get arrested. It's really bad. But anyway, you stand here. Oops, sorry, table. You stand here. And if you're in the box, you have to have faith. Because the truth is, in college, I used to face 90 to 95 mile an hour fastballs. Have you ever been hit by a 95 mile an hour fastball? I have. It's not fun. The hospital ensued. True story. But anyway, I'm here. And you have to have faith that that guy has enough control that when he throws the 95 mile an hour fastball, it will hit a certain spot that is inches from your body. That if it hits you in the right place, it could kill you. It takes a lot of faith to step into the box. I believe in our life, there's a lot of us Christians who refuse to step back into the box because of a bad experience. In fact, let me illustrate it one more way. There are major leaguers who get scared to step into the box. Take a look at the screen. No left-handed batter was ever eager to face the towering Randy Johnson. And at the 1993 All-Star Game, the big unit knew John Cruck was especially unenthusiastic. John Cruck fanning himself off. What's the reaction of John Cruck? Would you say he is... Heart is palpitating a bit. 
said, all I want to do is make contact. And after the first thing, I said, all I want to do is live. And I live. So I had a good at-bat. Brock's meek effort was actually Johnson's only strikeout in two perfect innings of work. So the truth is, John Krupp got in the box, and as soon as he almost got hit by a ball, he said, thank you very much, I'm not getting back in that box. I want to live. There's a lot of us that a bad experience has happened, and we refuse to get back in the box. So here's what we used to do in high school, and I'm just going to show you this, and pray for me because I don't fall and kill myself, and I'm going to get in this box. All right, good, I made it. What we used to do in high school is there were a lot of kids that would step out of the box, that when the pitch was coming, they'd be afraid. They wouldn't hit the ball. They'd move out of the box. So we would put him in a garbage can. And what we would say is this. We want you to stand in there. And when the pitch comes, you've got to stand still. Because if you try to move, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to fall. And so I will tell you, this is uncomfortable for a batter. I can't move my feet much. The ball's coming at me. I can't move out of the way because if I do, I'm going to fall and I'm going to hurt myself. And so in order to teach a child, high schooler, some of you parents are like, call the authorities. No, in order to teach them how to stand into the box and to be a baseball player, sometimes we put them in a garbage can. And then here's what we would do. We would throw about 10 pitches at the strike zone. And we would tell them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just stay in there. And it would start breaking a habit. But here's what we would do, though. Don't miss this. On the 11th pitch, when I was coaching, I'd always throw it slow but I would purposely hit the batter. Some of you are like, you're evil. I know, but wait. Do you want to know why? Because here's the truth. If you step into the box, you're probably going to get hit sometimes. I can't guarantee that you're not going to get hit if you get in the box. That would be wrong of me to tell a student you'll never get hit. But when I hit them, and after they cry, and after they curse me and everything else, and I say, stop. Are you okay? Yeah. It's not that bad. Stay in the box. There are some of you that gave up on God a long time ago. There are some of you that says, Terry, I, you know what? I hear all this, but I am not doing that again because I had a bad experience the last time I did that, and so I refuse to get back in the box. Some of you came into a church, and this might be the first time that you've stepped back into church because you came into a church one time and got called out by a deacon because of what you wear. That never happens, I promise you, but it probably happened to you. And if it happened to you, you refused to step back into church and in the box because you said, if that's Jesus going to judge me for how I look or for what I wear, I don't want any part of that church. I'm proud of you today for stepping back in the box because that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. So for some of you, you need to let go of the past. For some of you, you need to remember that you are going to face hardships. Students, you are going to be judged. You are going to be looked down to. But don't jump out of the box because of it. Some of you need to get back in the box, and i got to try and get out of the box, which is easier said than done. Okay, good. All right, praise God, I got out of that. Number five, or number four, some of you need to step into mess. And this might be the hardest thing for a lot of you, and I can promise probably a majority of you have not taken this step. Here's the truth. Jesus Christ never called us to be perfect. Jesus Christ never called us to live pristine beautiful lives. Now, I believe Jesus Christ actually called us to step into mess. Let me explain it. There are about probably two or three or four individuals in my neighborhood that I'm praying for. Probably three of them don't know anything about God. Three of them, when I'm around them, I kind of shudder because I have a whole new vocabulary after I get done talking to them. To be honest, when I'm around them, sometimes I'm sitting there going, oh, if so-and-so saw me standing here right now, they'd be like, why is he hanging out with that guy? 
But then I'm reminded right away, that's exactly what Jesus did. That Jesus made it a point to step into mess. That Jesus challenges all of us to get messy and to step into someone's mess with them. Because if not us Christians to step in to someone's life who's messy, then who? And you want to know why I know and I'm so passionate about this? Because some of you have already tuned me out and said, no, no, I ain't doing that. If you refuse to do that, then you refuse to follow Jesus. Because watch what Jesus did in Matthew 9, 10 through 13. Later, Matthew, a tax collector, the scum of the earth, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? These were the religious teachers. Why are you eating with those people? They don't believe in God. How dare you do this? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Here's the truth. There are some of you that this year you need to step into mess. You are too clean. Your life is too perfect. And what God's calling you to is to look outside of your realm of friends and everyone thinks alike, everyone acts alike. Oh, I love hanging out with them because they're just like me. And Jesus is saying, no, you only have so much influence. You are the light of the world. And there's a dark place in this person's heart. If not you, then who? To step into their mess and to love them. We should spend less time criticizing others and more time stepping into people's mess to empathize and to love and to find out why they are doing what they're doing and to offer to help to lead them to a better way. Some of you need to step into mess. And some of you refuse to step into mess because you need this step. Take a look. You need to step down. I'm going to say this in Christian love. Some of you in this room, you're on such a high horse and so proud of your Christianity that God is looking at you and saying, you need to get off your high horse horse and step down and humble yourself because the minute you look down on someone in the hallway or the minute you look down at another human being or the minute that you look down at someone that has sinned more than you watch out watch out God's calling you to step down here's the truth there's two people in the front row if Laura had one sin in her life And she's a great person, goes to church every single week. And Adam, her husband, is scum of the earth. Not really, I'm just teasing, but you know, I love you. I I mean, she has talked to me a little bit here and there, but you know. Um, But Adam is, you know, not doing well and he's not following God and everything else. Here's what we think, that God looks down at Laura and God looks down at Adam and God says, Laura, I'm so sorry. He's a jerk. I am so sorry you're in this. You hang on. Ooh, I'm mad with you. I am mad with you. No, that's not God. You know what God does? God looks at Laura with one sin, Adam with 10 sins, and says, I love you both. And I want you both to know an incredible loving God. Laura, I'm proud of you when you make the right steps. Adam, you have no clue sometimes, but I love you when you do take a step in the right direction. I love you both the same. It doesn't matter how many sins you have because I don't count them up because I died for them. I love you the same. So some of you need to step down. Number six, some of you need to learn to step over the line. And this one, let me explain this. 
Because there's a lot of you that refuse to step into mess. There's a lot of you that refuse to step down because you are afraid to step over the line. And watch what I say. Because there's a lot of you who have had lunches with friends who are not living the way they should be living. And by the way, if you're not a Christian, when I say that, here's what I mean. As Christians, we read the Bible, about 20% of us in this room, we read the Bible and we try to live our life based on what Jesus says. So when I say we live our lives the way we should, I mean by what Jesus calls us to. And we sit at a table and we are their friend and they're sitting across from us and they say something that we know in our heart is the wrong direction, is not right. Here's what we do. We refuse to step over the line of permission to speak into their life. And I'm not talking downcast. I'm talking, hey, brother, I love you. And I've heard you say this three times to me now. And I know that you might be offended at me, but I love you. And I just want to tell you, I don't think that's what Jesus would want you to do. And a lot of us are afraid to do that. We're afraid to step over the line of permission. But watch this. If you don't step over the line of permission in someone's life, then you will miss out on the possibilities that God has for their life. Does that make sense? I have been surprised by God when I have stepped over the line of permission and said very timidly, can I share one thing with you? And I've looked at a person across the table that says, sure, brother, what? I've heard you say this several times. And you know what? I'm not judging at all. But you say that you want, you know, to be wise and you want to take good... I would just advise because Jesus says this, and I would just offer that to you and say, I think there's a better way and a better step you can take. Do you know how many times I have done that and I thought to myself, this guy's going to punch me or he is never going to be my friend ever again. And do you know what happens? He looks at me and says, I'm so glad you told me that. Dude, why didn't you tell me that before? I've been messing up. Thank you so much. Can we do this more often? Can we go to lunch more often? And my heart breaks because I have refused to step over the line of permission. And because of that, the possibilities in that guy's life has been limited. Does that make sense? Some of you need to step over the line. Last one, am I done? And it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to make it make sense. You need to stand your ground. You need to stand your ground. I gave you six steps you need to take, but then you always need to remember with these six steps, you need to stand your ground. The truth is that the baby, even though they're moving, is stationary. And it's a reminder to a lot of us that while we're moving, that our faith and what we know doesn't move. Our faith and our doctrine and what we know is truth stands firm as we move. One of the greatest things that I read recently is something called the sway test. Here's the truth. If you went home today, try it. And you went home and you stood by yourself with your feet close together, hands to your side, and just close your eyes. And just stand there for a long way of time. And what happens to your body is you start to sway. And if you stand long enough, you will sway far enough to where you'll need to catch your balance. Here's the truth. You're not moving. You're just standing still. What's causing me to sway? No one's pushing me. No one's shoving me. I am moving. Here's the truth in our life. You're going to move constantly. But you need to remember to try and stand your ground while you're moving. 
All month long, we've been doing something called fact over feeling. I've said every single week that your feelings are going to lie. In fact, some of you right now, you have gotten enough feelings together to say, I don't care what he says. I don't like the steps. I'm not doing anything. And those are all feelings. But if you're a Christian, what I've tried to do is take those steps and match them to what God says. And so you have to go to fact if you're a Christian. So I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to tie it to a biblical fact so that way it trumps your feelings and emotion. So here's a phrase I want you to write down. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you're a Christian in this room, a Christ follower, you should never get to the point of comfortability. The minute you feel comfortable as a Christian, I can promise you God is looking down and saying, speed up the tempo, step up the tempo. You got more to do. Don't coast. The sad thing is there's a lot of Christians in this room that have been complacent for a very long time and God is screaming at you. You got to get comfortable being uncomfortable and stop coasting as a Christian. So here's my challenge. I want you to do these six steps. Take a look. Oh, thank you, Max. Max, when, I, when you see something not come up, it means that I've messed up, and I have. Let me tie this to an amazing passage of Scripture, Matthew seven twenty four. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Here's the truth. That next verse, and this is, this is great. You've seen this verse if you're a Christian. The next verse is, when the winds and the waves crash against the house, it will not collapse. You know what I love? We always focus on the house. In our Christian life, we will still have wind and we will still have waves. That doesn't say anything about, hey, if you follow my teaching, I won't give you wind and waves. It has nothing to do with that. Instead, God says, waves and wind are going to come. And so if you step up in your faith and follow me, you will stand firm. Point number seven. So step forward, step up the tempo, step into the box, step into the mess, step down, step over the line, stand firm in your faith. Let's pray. In just a second, our band is going to come up and Tangina is going to lead us in a song. And here's, here's my prayer for you in this moment. I want you to take all the distractions out of your mind. I don't want you to look at your purses. I don't want you to look at the person next to you. I don't want your mind to wander. I just want you to focus for just one second. What step did God challenge your heart with? What step right now you have in your mind that you can't let go of? If it's more than one, that's okay. But what one did God just say, you've got to do this? I want to challenge you in this room that while Tangina leads us and while we sing a song about standing firm, I pray that you'll make a commitment today that in 2017, you are going to take that step so that at the end of the day, you will stand firm in knowing God has an incredible plan. And if I follow him every step of the way, my year, will be absolutely incredible. God bless this moment. Confirm it in their hearts and we stand with you as we step up in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. 
If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.